The area of IT security is constantly changing. So what can you do to keep up, both as a business and as an individual? What new threats should we be on the lookout for? And what are some current trends to keep up with? I bid you welcome to Televox Talks, a podcast about humans and technology. My name is Martina Elmqvist, and to dig in today's topics, I'm pleased to present two esteemed guests. Natasha Fries Saksberg, the CEO of Danish ICT Industry Association, and Peter Sunde, the founder of Njala. Uh, bo- both of you are very renowned in the IT community and the tech community and in different ways have worked with security and I wanted you to start off to tell us a bit about your background Peter. So uh, I, I'm a like say let's say homemade geek. I started with computers at around like 9-10 um, and started with getting an understanding of what computers were, what they could do. Uh, this is way back, so like 30 years ago, um, and you had to find out everything about computers yourself if you wanted to use them. So I uh, started hacking uh, in the old sense that you, you made something out of the computer that it was not supposed to do. And then it's just been uh, projects that I've been doing have been surrounding the idea of, uh, let's say, going on the edge of what computers can and can't do and why they're doing it. Uh, so I've been part of something called the, the Pirate Bay, which was probably the most famous product I've done, which is the biggest file sharing system in the world. Um, I've been part of WikiLeaks, working with uh, getting documents leaked to the world and hosting them. Um, I'm working with uh, how to deal with documents in a safe way. And then I've started uh, Nyala, which is giving uh, safe connections to the internet. So anonymous domain names, anonymous hosting, anonymous VPNs. Um, mostly being used by groups that are in the need of uh, being anonymous because they have threats from governments or big corporations that are not very happy with what they're doing. So uh, a lot of Ukrainian sites right now are, are hosted with Yala. Yes, we will dig into a bit more about the sort of um, civilian side of, yeah. of security with you. Uh, and then you, Natasha, who, who are you? Tell us. Well, I, I've been working with tech since the mid-90s. I started as an IT systems engineer, uh, specializing in, in network infrastructure. So security was a, a big part of that, of course. Um, and then uh, when I grew older in that profession, I became an, uh, an IT operations manager at the Danish uh, railway uh, company, National Railway Company. And uh, I was heading IT security as well. Um, so uh, I've, I've been working at quite a lot on that. Later on, I moved into innovation software, uh, was an entrepreneur for almost 10 years, building three startups. Um, I was in the US for a couple of years, helping uh, IT companies enter the US market. And then I've been working with corporate venture. And now I'm the CEO of the Danish ICT Industry Association, which is uh, representing IT and telecom companies in Denmark towards government, but also thought leadership and creating knowledge, events, stuff like that. And then I'm the also uh, the co-founder and now the, the vice chair of the Danish quantum community. So we're going to talk a bit about quantum yes. security quantum, as well. Quantum will be a very interesting topic. I had to Google a bit about it, but it's super interesting. If I want to start really high level with both of you, uh, I have a question that just says, what does security mean to you? Oh, it's about uh, personal, uh, I would say safety in the way of feeling secure more than being secure. Like if you feel that you are uh, in control of your data and uh, you feel that you can express yourself uh, freely, that's security for me, I would say. Yeah. 
And to take the corporate angle on that, I would say contingency. I think uh, security, we, we must never think as a one-off, but something that uh, needs to be constantly update, updated and something we need to be prepared for. And when it goes wrong, that we can continue our operations so it's not seen as a, as a one-mission uh, operation. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting then because uh, my perspective for both of you were a dual perspective, the individual and the business one, uh, and it's a bit of a different agenda if you're talking about an individual or or a corporation uh, when it comes to securities. And and I'm curious to hear if you talk about an individual perspective, what kind of a, an agenda uh, is on top of your mind. I think ob the obvious thing right now is the disinformation, uh, which might not be in like the technical way of security, but it is a way of understanding the world and, uh, and knowing what's going on and knowing what to think. Uh, and for me, the security of knowing that the information you get is actually real and valid and not there for a reason of tricking you. Um, I, I think on the technical side of security for individuals, uh, there are plenty of good solutions like antivirus stuff that you should of, of course do but I, I think those things are easy to list but on the understanding information it's getting much harder to understand and, and know what, what's real and not. Mm. And I think there is a big connection because the first line of defense are citizens or users and they compose the biggest threat to many corporations as well because we do stuff <laughs> that are not always uh, thoughtful uh, or people want us to do something bad and, and that we don't think about it. So security needs in my world to be secure enough but also simple enough that people don't skip it and I think that's one of the biggest lessons I had from the, my IT operations days at the Danish uh, Railway Corporation was that if you make it too difficult people will, will find ways that, that compromises the, the plans you had. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, that is a constant topic, I either if you're just a, an individual being lazy with your passwords, mm. but you are the same individual coming into a company being lazy with your exactly. passwords. So so that that sort of translates. But, but I think it's also mm. something which uh, developers and, and, and companies need to think about how to make it easy mm. and not have to... I think that's also one of the things that Apple has done very, really well compared to most of the other um, uh, computer manufacturers and operating system manufacturers is that they just made it simple enough that you don't think about security that way, in a, in a good and bad way. But uh, you know, having things encrypted, having things uh, on your computer and um, communication by default without thinking about what it means and being too complicated with PGP and encryption keys and all of those things uh, is definitely really important for developers to think about. Yeah. Yep. And when we were talking about uh, the digital landscape we operate in and, and uh, the threats that are out there, have you any, any points on what kind of new threats are out there that we maybe haven't, haven't seen yet? Oh, it, it's always <laughs> something new. Um, but I, I think they all go back to the same idea of trying to uh, influence you in a way that, you know, like uh, phishing is, is still growing, uh, especially in, in cryptocurrencies things are like the whole new frontier of that it, it makes people not understand it it's really advanced uh, people get fooled all the time because it, you don't know what's real and what's not real even for really skilled people it can be really tricky like understanding smart contracts and nfts and all of those things it's mm -hmm. it's really 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 hard and people are going to be you know tricked because there's so much money in there mm. and you get sort of 
um, the, the pot of gold or striking gold, go, dating back to sort of the gold rush era has always been triggering for, for people. It's so. a lot about like someone selling, you know, some sort of elixir that will fix your your stomach ache, you know, a hundred years ago on, on, a, on a square. It's, it's kind of the same thing. But it might be that some of them are actually working. Mm. It might be, you know, Alvedon or some uh, ibuprofen that actually works being sold there. So, so the problem is that you don't know what's real and what's not real. And they both look like scams. And to some people, like, because one is not a scam, the other one can't be a scam either. So uh, it is a minefield. And, and um, I, I think it's going to be really, it's going to take a long time before we've, like, rooted out all of the bad things. Uh, and a lot of people will get really scammed. And, and i don't really know how to deal with it, to be mm. honest. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. A threat to to really uh, be mindful of. Mm. And if you look at companies, do you, are there some new threats on the horizon that the companies should be very aware of? Well, I think uh, quantum security is something you need to be aware of, that we have this, and I'm going to dig into it now. I don't know if you plan for yeah. that. but uh, Let's go with that question, <laughs> because my question on that was, please tell us about yeah. quantum security. Yes. So, so the reason we need to, to worry about quantum security is that we have a phenomenon called harvest now and decrypt later, which is... Um, which is actually the, the, the complexity of uh, cryptography today is that you, you multi-factor prime numbers and that is very, very difficult or impossible today with traditional computers to, to roll that back and figure out what was the original uh, numbers or data in that. But with a quantum computer and something called Shor's algorithm, it's going to be very, very easy. Mm-hmm. So for companies, we talk about that you need to have, uh, you need to be quantum ready in your security uh, strategy. Uh, and there are different technologies for that. There are two technologies that that we talk about, and one is quantum key dis- distribution, which is uh, totally unbreakable because if you can break that, you have to break the the laws of nature. So that is that is going to be totally safe. Um, but that is also very expensive, and uh, and it's uh, it, it can be re- re- very difficult for companies to implement. So we're talking about a post quantum cryptography software, which is much easier and much uh, cheaper to implement, which we recommend companies and especially critical infrastructure to look into, are you quantum ready? And for the critical infrastructure that you should go with absolute quantum key distribution safety uh, parameters parameter because you don't want to be less safe when that happens. The thing is that we don't know when we have this computer. Some says two, five years, others says uh, 20. But the thing is, when it happens and development within technology happens exponential, so we were always a little bit puzzled uh, how fast things went. Think about artificial intelligence, how fast that suddenly went because we had the perfect storm of 5G smartphones and data and explosion of data. Um, And that is probably going to happen with quantum as well. So So we see a lot of interest in quantum, and that has just exploded the past couple of years, especially within defense, uh, and that uh, the governments are being more and more aware that we need to, they need to understand the, the aspects and be prepared because this technology will change everything. If you have personal data, mm-hmm. they'll still be personal in five or ten years when when the quantum technology is ready for this. this. So you need to be, you need to be quantum ready in your security aspects. Yeah, and I mean to to explain a bit more about what what is quantum, mm. what is that compared to what we have today, 
Uh, could you dig into sure. that? Sure, and that, there are three areas of quantum, and I think a lot of people think quantum is quantum computers, but yes, that's just one element. And quantum computers are, are these crazy uh, uh, computers that that you have you have the the, the binary system uh, of of the of traditional computers today, where you can have a zero or a one, but in quantum you can be both zero and one. So so you have the superposition, which makes it possible to have these crazy calculations. Um, this is not going to replace traditional computers, that's important to say, but it's, it's going to be very complementary. And today you have what you call HPCs, high-performance computers, which are super servers or super computers that has a lot of power. Uh, and those will work very well together with the quantum computers as well. And we see a lot of development within quantum technology actually affecting traditional computing because the innovation taking place are inspiring traditional uh, computer scientists to rethink how we do, uh, how we do traditional computing and and on high performance servers so um so that that is one area supercomputers and if you ask people one year ago they would say it's here in 10 15 years uh, i talked to ibm they state it's going to be here within two years so it's going to be pretty pretty close and we have a lot of competitors within the space you have google you have um, microsoft you have ibm and several others that are competing on quantum technology um, so something is going to happen there but then you have two other areas and they're actually here already which is quantum communication and that is uh, including security uh, and we already use that and see that today. And then we have censoring, and that's the technology you use in MRI scanners. That's the technology you use in, in self-driving cars. Uh, so those two areas are here today. So quantum technology is not a phantom of the future. It's actually something we should be concerned about already. Yeah, and when, it, when this uh, technology comes, then there will also be people breaking into it and hacking it and... and uh and uh, making those threats. <coughs> I think it's it's more about like using the technology to uh, do things you can do before. So I, mm -hmm. one of the things that I that you mentioned is that uh, you know the, the data that you have that is sensitive that will will be breakable in the future. It doesn't even have to be quantum computers. Just no. uh, computers ten years ago were not as good as today, and mm -hmm. it, it's been an exponential growth. And you will always be. It, it will, it will be possible to find uh, you know holes in encryption systems and stuff like that as well, mm. which is just a matter of time. So I, I think for uh, this, this, the companies that I've built, the, all of the organizations that I built, one of the key things that we, in order to not have to think too much about all of the you know potential future threats, is that we try to minimize what data we have on mm. people, and we don't want data. So we're mm. asking, we're not asking for data, just to have the data, which I, I think it's a different approach than what everyone is doing in, in, the, in the computing world and in the tech world is that they just want to harvest all of this data. Uh, and, and our niche is always to do the opposite, like we want as little as possible. Uh, and for us, it, it just makes us be able to sleep better at night because first of all, we want our people to have their own uh, integrity and privacy, but also if there's a break in and, and breach of data, which, you know, you know, just looking statistically, it will happen at one time. Uh, it's not going to be any in important or um, you know serious information that's going to be lost. Um, so I think that like in order to be ready for the future, you should also think about right now that you know get rid of stuff you don't need. Yep. Don't ask for it. A follow-up question to this uh, actually ties into the question I wanted to ask about what do you feel is the main lack of knowledge today for both individuals and companies uh, to be able to be become ready for what the future holds? 
a big, a big question. Yeah, it's a big question. For me, I, I think it's not a lack of, uh, of knowledge. I would say it's a lack of focus on the knowledge that you have. And the problem is that there's so much, you know so many things and you don't care enough about these things until it's too late. So like, that's a typical thing that happens with, uh, when it comes to information security, it's like you don't have the backup and you realize, you realize that when you need it. You don't have you know, that information. The password is the same on every place. It worked for 10 years. All of a sudden, you know, someone logs into all of your accounts because you have the same password, all of these things. So it's not that you don't know that you're not supposed to do these things. You are supposed to look at your backup. But it's like the lack of the focus on, and, and giving that enough time to actually you know, be safe about it. That, that's my, you know, the biggest thing, I would say. Mm. And so to continue on the, on the corporate aspect, which I... I interpret you you went down on it. It's uh, we have in Denmark at least. I guess it's probably the same in, in many other countries that forty percent of of companies have a low level of security. Forty percent. So that's uh, a big threat to our society. Uh, and uh, around uh, one fourth of those, they 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 just need to update their operating systems. They need to make sure that uh, they have a backup in place, and they don't. So it's uh, it's actually very low hanging fruits. It's very basic, and I think if we can, that's what we're working on doing, and also collaborating with uh, the public sector around is mm-hmm. how can we make those easy steps more visible and aware for companies who d- who doesn't have the skills. And that taps into the biggest problem, I think, within security uh, is that we, we lack a lot, of, a lot of skilled resources. And in Europe alone, we need 200,000 IT security specialists. So if you don't have those people, who's going who's gonna to advise the companies on a daily basis? The big companies, they're going to attract, will have easier on attracting these people, but small companies won't. So I think we have a big uh, lack of e- equality in the, in the business industries that uh, small companies have a hard time getting access to skilled people. Mm. And that's going to leave them behind uh, when, when the bigger ones take off. And in this tech space, it's just an exponential problem. You can't just run faster in 10 years if you get the skills, you're dead because someone else took over your business. Mm. And I think it's also interesting when you when we fo- when you talk about Denmark because both Denmark and Sweden where we are have different approaches mm. when it comes to to digitalization also for the individual. I know that Denmark has uh, the government, you have a NIMID and you mm. have all those kinds of things run by the state, mm. but in Sweden we have bank ID which is run by corporations. Um, and I just, I'm just curious about your thoughts on two countries quite close to each other, quite similar in infrastructure, a bit different in size, but how come we have taken these two different approaches? Well, my, my guess is that in Denmark, we actually started very early on being uh, having a digitized public sector. And I think that... Um, that head uh, of, of being ahead of that curve made it possible for us to be more innovative uh, towards the public sector in general. Um, so NIMID came uh, actually quite early and, and uh, now we got my ID instead and that has created a baseline for security. So wherever you log on or you shop on, on the internet, you use this security level, which is, is in my opinion, brilliant because it's it's something you trust as a citizen. And uh, in, in terms of the public sector, we talk a lot with the government around how can you utilize your data in terms of creating better welfare um, because we have like most countries we have a problem with with healthcare with education uh, with jobs with other things and how can we utilize the data we give to the public sector to to create a more customized and personalized welfare system 
in a future where we have less money and more people to support. So that also offers new innovation potential that uh, you won't have when it's a bank. Mm. So <coughs> one of my issues with this is like uh, I'm not super happy like in, in Finland and in, in Sweden, Norway, we all, all have these banking codes, which is not super happy about. But it, I'm also see it as a problematic that the state actually runs the system because they also know where you identify and who you identify as and, and they can require you to identify to things that you shouldn't really have to identify to. So I, I, it's a double-edged sword. Mm. But then again, I, I'm really happy Denmark is ha identified uh, also like ethical IT as something which they've been focusing quite a lot about, getting like a tech ambassador to Silicon Valley, uh, focusing on like a, a little bit on human rights and, and then seeing that as a, I guess, a business uh, op uh, opportunity as well to, to make Denmark into some sort of ethical tech nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they have a better discussion there. Maybe uh, from my aspect, you know, I'm, I'm not super happy about the business side of it, um, but it, it is better that the businesses are, you know, focusing on, on, on the ethics sides than, than just like everyone else who's not that much caring about it. The, one of the main problems I always see about like the identification system is mm -hmm. that uh, it's getting really sloppy very often. Like if you want to buy something on, uh, on the net, like you give out your, your ID card and then you get the, you know, they get all of your information about your address and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be like that. So uh, you could also think about that uh, raising the problem for um, someone who wants to be, make a decentralized system where you have your own ID. We could actually sign it and have a technology that would sign your own ID that runs only in your phone. Uh, or only on your computer. That would may, may be better so that you wouldn't have to, like the state or a company as a third party to identify yourself. Uh, so by having a great system that actually works like NEMID or bank ID and so on, it also hinders innovation in many ways. Then looking on to the future uh, for, for you, uh, when I talk to you, Peter, I mean, where is security heading in regards to being more anonymous domains and, and how you can protect yourself on the global arena? I think uh, <coughs> I, I talk daily to uh, different countries, uh, registrar, uh, like the, the people who are on DKFI and so on, uh, and they're not really happy about people being anonymous. So they want to increase the awareness of who owns information on the internet, who runs certain websites on the internet. Mm -hmm. So there is a war on on privacy that's been going on for 20 years something, or, or since the internet really became a, a mainstream thing. And I think in most cases, I understand why organizations and governments want to impose some sort of safety. Um, but they're not looking at the fringe cases that are really, really important for people like activists that are um, using um, internet for civil disobedience. Um, if you look in, in the situation in Russia right now, if you talk about you know, opposing the war or the special operation, as they're supposed to call it, uh, you're going to have a really hard time you know, living in that nation. Uh, and by us in the rest of the world also enforcing you with our uh, rules and laws and regulations that you have to have your own uh, real identity on certain websites, you can't post things without actually people understanding who you are. Um, that's going to be a huge issue that we don't, we, we see it as a fringe case all of the time without thinking about the, the consequences of, of democracy in the end. So I'm, I'm really cautious, you know, when it comes to that. So um, um, not too many people actually talk about those situations. Mm. So, yeah, Because then in tying back to what we said uh, in the beginning about, about scammers and, and people being fished online, how can an anonymous source be credible? 
No, it has to prove itself, and yeah. I think that's that's good enough. Like I would not buy, uh, you know, something from a, an anonymous website without actually knowing who runs it or why it's being run and having some sort of trust and credibility. Uh, but I also think it's the opposite. Like if you know which organization runs something, you yeah. trust them just because it's that organization or that you think it's that organization. There's been quite a lot of cases where people have a web shop and then they've been buying from this for like two, three years no problems and then someone takes over the company uses the you know the brand and then they always sell stuff for like half price now and then they just take in like a few million and then they don't send anything and, and close down the company um, so stuff like that happens as well so like trust needs to be renewed all the time uh, and, and that's something more like a societal issue I would say than a technological problem hmm. and when we focus on, on the individual and maybe the small company as well because I know you're very passionate about small companies and, and, and quantum readiness and also the readiness for, for IT security. Do you have any any uh, thoughts on how small companies can bridge uh, the security gap that might be mm. coming for them? Yeah, as I mentioned, we, we made a collaboration with, uh, with the public sector around some basic steps um, mm. and uh, we have guides for that and I think that's what every country needs to do is make it easy, accessible for small companies to say what are the, the three or five steps we should take here. We also have uh, funding uh, opportunities for small companies that want to move into digitalization and mm. including security that that if you heighten the level of these companies' uh, uh, technology base, then you also see a growth. So it's actually good for, for income as well. So ra just raising awareness around what could you actually do. And I think that's that's the important part. But I think the skills part is something we need to be very, very focused on, that it's very hard for a little company to, to attract or pay for, for these expensive skills. So how can we make it accessible, even though you're, you're tiny and don't have an IT security manager uh, on board? Mm. I think in many ways it's really strange that when you build a house that's supposed to be infrastructure or road, mm. uh, there are regulations on how you're supposed to build it. But if you run a company and take care of people's, and you make infrastructure like Facebook or someone, mm. there's very few regulations in place to make sure that this is you know, something that will not just collapse or lose all of the vital information. So with banking, mm. that is at least going on. But otherwise, it is a little bit of Wild West. So maybe some sort of... like regulation would also be actually yep. good if you take care of people's data. When you look, look into certain industry like the banking industry and healthcare industry, there are regulations on how how our personal information is stored and everything. Mm. But that comes down to all kinds of, of companies you are either you work for them or you are in contact with them, or from coming from my perspective when I work in marketing, I want information about people so that I could market stuff uh, to them. And and what happened in the marketing industry with the GDPR certification was, I mean, throwing throwing uh, a lot of work overboard, but also actually uh, having us to shape up a bit, also how we target people and how commercials are done and and how you can um, communicate to the masses uh, so I think all of I think it's interesting that we have a focus on the banking industry and the healthcare industry but that focus should maybe be everywhere I think it's important if you make infrastructure for society mm. 
it, it comes with responsibilities, not just like um, you know a, a possible way for you to make money. So I think that that's something we should focus more on. But I was puzzled. You said that having governments uh, govern data is going to be uh, uh, is going to limit innovation. I'm not sure I agree. I think it depends on how you're going to do it. Because when you saw the big social media companies like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, not LinkedIn so much, but but Twitter, Facebook especially, they they were excellent at creating APIs for allowing uh, developers accessing their data so you could see new innovation. And that's how we think the government should also look at data. Any data that is not related to a person, give it free for the for, for innovation to happen in, in corporations and small companies starting up and want to do GovTech or whatever technology they want to do using these data. So I think creating a more modern approach to how we collaborate with the public sector can also create a new level of innovation that we haven't seen or utilized before. So I, I see a lot of hope in that as well. Yeah, I see. It would be great with more, you know, the, that's what I want the government to do is like open up, like, for instance, where you store data doesn't have to be with Facebook just because Facebook access exactly. the data. You should be able to host it wherever you want it and move it around. Maybe you, you should own it yourself and, and things like that should be. But has the government has to actually enforce that to be a possibility mm. because no company that knows that you know 90% of their assets is owning and controlling certain amount of information even if they have an API it's still their information that they share with someone mm. so you have the dependency on them if you start moving that dependency away uh, it's going to be really hard for the businesses to cope but I think that's also going to be something which improves society and the, the company's possibilities to do things as well but we do that on a consent platform that you as a user can control what do you want to use your data for. And I think Web3 uh, always going to show some new opportunities within decentralization and how we govern security as individuals. And I, you probably have an opinion around that, yeah, but yes. I think that <laughs> that entirely development uh, yeah. beyond the hype of Web3, I think is super interesting. How are we going to innovate in a decentralized uh, fashion? And how are we going to make sure that individuals can own their own data, but also get the benefits of what we produce today when I go on a social media platform I spend time which I don't get paid for I get another service in return but what if I got some kind of uh, return in terms of uh, a transaction and that could be crypto that could be something else of value uh, back so we could see the future of citizen wage or or how we can create a decentralized business model and that has got to threaten the social media platforms business model of today but it might also be the savior of how can we make sure that people actually have an incentive for identifying themselves, not being a bot because you need that in order to create that uh, that backflow of money into uh, to the user. I'm 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 somewhat between super negative and super positive, mm -hmm. positive about the thing. <laughs> uh, I think Web three though it, it is a lot of hype around something. The whole internet is decentralized. We just built it differently. And, and what I've seen in Web three stuff coming up is that you, we build new centralized units. So we don't have to. But we are because it's so much easier than to build everything because it's getting really, really complex. Mm. So I, I think that that's going to be the, you know, the problem. Like it's really easy today to put up your own email server and actually run the, your own email server, your own web server. Mm. Uh, and you can host it on your phone if you want to uh, and bring it with you everywhere. But no one does it because it's, you know, it's a little bit challenging. But Web 3.0 makes it even more challenging to do actually that uh, because you will have to connect to some centralized location. I hope I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. in the end that it that it works out and I'm super happy if we could move away from uh, an internet where everything is based on, on making money from advertising and, mm. and harvesting people's data uh, I've been working on that for 10 years it didn't work out but um, uh, there are at least there is some hope in, in, in the next thing coming mm -hmm.
on the global scale, we talk about uh, the Scandinavian countries, and they are kind of small, and and the governments are are run in a in a democratic and similar kind of way. Uh, but talking on a global scale to to de- as we say decentralize and and make the internet the real global uh, arena, um, I think all of these conversations are really important. Uh, because I mean, we are identified in our own countries and with our own governments. We will still be living in somewhere. It has to be like that. But we're also living a lot of time online, and uh, and how to sort of bridge these gaps between between what we have and is running for us and maybe not running out there. Uh, it's quite big. Uh, and I mean, how can a civilian and, and a company keep up to date with all of this new thing that are coming? Web3, quantum, everything. I don't. I have no clue. <laughs> uh, it's it's too much. The, yeah. the, and I think that's the problem. Like, there has to be people focused on it. So I think the idea of having more, um, some sort of like to-do list is great and then some things to, to follow. So I, I think there's also some opportunity in, 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 uh, in that for people who can actually kind of find how to navigate on mm. it. Um, my approach has always been less data, uh, less problems, uh, but it will not solve things in the future either. No, no, and, and we s- say the opposite: that uh, figure out <laughs> what data you have and how you can use it to to uh, develop your company in the future. So it's a it's a difficult balance, and I think that's exactly the problem out there that you hear from a security aspect: don't don't have too much data, but from an innovative, competitive aspect, make sure you get as lot of data as possible which is relevant for your business in the future so i think what 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 is important is curiosity and uh, for a small company it's it's more difficult but surround yourself with people who has done this before mm-hmm. who's a step ahead of you who's actually tried it beyond the bus and beyond what's what is said on on conferences which is just the headlines but actually talk to people who who tried this before through networks etc and i think for a mid-size a big company if you if you're responsible for an area surround yourself with the most savvy people from different areas within science within uh, entrepreneurship venture capital um, business innovation in general so you have all these aspects um, that'll make you it'll enable that you can ask the right questions not that de- de- necessarily answer them but you can make sure that you raise some awareness and then you can decide who should we hire in to to insure us in these areas to develop us in, the, in these areas mm. Is that also the way that a company maybe can think about like future proofing? Because I know that's always a struggle, how to proof for the future, how to pu- proof for something you don't know is out there. Well, for me, it's it, working with venture uh, and in corporate venture, seeing the the young companies out there, talking to scientists, what they're developing on. But the way you look at at potential as a venture capitalist is not where do we see profits today. You look at where do you see growth, mm-hmm. and that could be growth of innovation, the growth of users, uh, any kind of trends around things that are that, that are growing and i think having that approach um, as a business looking into what should we live up in the future where, where are the areas that we we are not aware so where do our customers go when they don't trade with us and why do they do that and be totally obsessed about what which problems do we have in our supply chains and in our value chains and how can we solve them better than anyone else so just looking on your business from a more problem focused uh, Perspective, rather than looking into the products we have today and how can we maximize that. Mm. Mm. 
and for a, an individual or a civilian, uh, is there some way to sort of uh, think about this of future proofing yourself for what's to come? No, I think one of the important thing as an uh, individual and small organization is to look at like what's the value I'm getting out of this. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of the things that we use today are not really valuable, it's just wasting our time. And rather waste your time on your kids and on reading books than being on social media all the time and like f try to find the balance. And I think uh, companies are going to try and make money out of you and that might not always be bad, but in the end it's like uh, w what you get back from it. Um, so I think that's the future proofing is like make sure that you focus on yourself and your, your happiness rather than just uh, you know, spending time uh, arguing on social media. <laughs> Less time uh, arguing on Twitter, more time uh, arguing with your kids. Yeah, but I do both. So yeah. that's uh... <laughs> all right. I mean, we c we could talk about all different kinds of aspects here for a long, long time. But I have a wrap up for us uh, on more of upcoming trends. So we have talked about threats and we have talked about uh, proofing ourselves in security. But do you see any upcoming trends for digital privacy or or the credibility aspect that you? that you would like to raise? No, but I think it, it, we already kind of talked about it, like mm. the Web3.0 uh, movement. Um, and, and Explain a bit more about that for those who, who don't really know what it is. Um, basically, I would say it's it's the next, next thing using blockchain as some sort of, of carrier of information. So mm. uh, when you think about blockchain, you think about Bitcoin in most cases. Uh, but the blockchain is more uh, a distributed you can compare it to an Excel sheet of who has this information. It's a line of like this information belongs to this person and so on. So it's like an, it's, it's, it's very simple in, in, uh, in how it's done, but it's uh, advanced in how it's spread. So mm -hmm. it's more like a distributed database. Uh, and I think with Web 3.0, it's going to be different in the way that uh, you can move data along to different websites, organizations, whatever you want to build on top of that. So it's not going to be centralized that you don't need to have a permission from Facebook to use their API in order to get the data because it, they don't have control over it. Mm. Um, so that's the basic idea, I would say. Mm. Um, well, I, I agree on Web 3.0 and, and I think we just started on seeing the potential. I think in, in, in any degree of, of technology and trends, make sure you talk to the real experts because there is a lot of um, even the ethical discussions around uh, artificial intelligence are sometimes prohibiting what's actually the problem. And if you talk, t talk too much ethics with people who doesn't really understand the technology, you have a risk of focusing on the wrong problems because some of it can be solved very easily, but you might have bigger problems that you aren't discussing. And I think that's the same problem in security or in quantum mm. or in web 3.0. So make sure you really understand which problems you should address and not only talk about the easy parts, but also the difficult parts. Uh, and the difficult parts is, of course, ethical, but it's also what is actually uh, the, the maturity of the technology and mm. where should we be in one, two, three, five years. So having that long-term aspect. Mm. But I think for me, the most exciting thing right now is, is definitely quantum and how that is going to revolutionize technology as a whole. Uh, and it's going to be crazy because we see an, an end to Moore's law. You, you, it, it, we, we, when Moore's law is that you increase um, the, the process of power uh, every 18 months, with, uh, you double it. Uh, and and it's, we're reaching that level, how small you can build uh, semiconductors, how, how tiny the, the cores can be and how close they can be to each other. So we're actually reaching that limit. Um, so quantum is the extension of Moore's law and we're going to see some crazy 
cool and crazy, maybe also scary innovation on that. But uh, I'm very excited about that part. And one thing to add to this, mm -hmm. which I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about that as well. Uh, but I think w we need to also have a discussion right now that we didn't have in the beginning of the internet, which was basically who is going to own and control and operate all of these things. Mm. So we, we should have the discussion about democracy when it comes to all of these things, because it is the future infrastructure we're talking about. So, But we have the technology to actually have that conversation and act on it, right? We didn't have that 20 years ago. Yeah. So that is what blockchain offers us, actually yeah. an alternative. It is uh, in many ways, hopefully, yes, but it's not always being used that way. So, no. um, so we need to make sure that that happens. Um, so we and need that's to what I mean, that. talk to the experts, because yeah. there, there's a lot of misinterpretation around blockchain and crypto and people are mixing it up. Very much, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and to sort of sum up that, 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 that maybe is, is where we're wrapping up today. Talk to the expert, find out to ask the rest, right questions. A lot of exciting stuff is coming. Hopefully, uh, I mean, I can invite you in, in two years and we, we already are in the quantum space and, and we can discuss uh, if what we discussed today actually was realized or something completely different happened. A huge thank you to both of you uh, for joining us. Uh, it has been great picking your brains uh, from your different perspective. Thanks for listening to Televox Talks. To find out more about how Televox turns communication into rewarding conversations, visit televox.com. More episodes of Televox Talks are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts.